The Limud Toronto Festival takes place on Sunday, November 21st. Limud features educators, performers, authors, activists, and innovators from around the world. The Limud Festival of Jewish Learning celebrates creativity, diversity, inclusivity, and discussion. Everyone is welcome. All tickets to Limud are pay what you can. Learn more at limud.ca. Shalom, welcome to Rivkush, a CJN podcast featuring conversations with Jews of color discussing all things Jewish. My name is Rivkush. Today, my guest is Jared Jackson. Jared Jackson, I have to say, is one of the coolest people I know. Never fails to make me laugh, never fails to make me think, sometimes can get me kind of riled up about some issues. So I'm really thrilled to have him here with us. So let me tell you a little bit about Jared. Jared is the founder and executive director of Jews in All Hues, an education and advocacy organization that builds a world where intersectional diversity and dignity are normative. Jared was born in Philadelphia. He's a multi-heritage Jew. He is internationally renowned for his Jewish diversity leadership. He's a consultant, facilitator, speaker, writer, musician, and entrepreneur. He is an alum of the Salat Leadership Program through Bend the Ark, a Jewish partnership for justice. He also holds a certificate of nonprofit management from LaSalle University and was named one of the Jews that will change the world by the periodical Ma'ariv. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love your organization. Thank you. You know, you know, I do. You know, I have like how many t-shirts? Three? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, you have three t-shirts. t-shirts. I got mugs. Two mugs or something yeah. like that. Yes. <laughs> because how could I not? When I saw it, your t- the t-shirt, it was the best. And I think I told you the story of um, when I was walking. It was at High Holidays last year and or no a few years ago and I had got the t-shirt and I was headed over to help set up the building and I'm walking down downtown proudly wearing my t-shirt and I just loved the looks on people's faces like (laughs) it was the best so go ahead and tell them what my shirt says this is what Jewish looks like exactly exactly and I loved every moment of it because it's that's truth it's truth. So tell me the one thing I've we've never I've never actually asked you because I just assumed, you know, it's such an amazing organization. And it feels like, oh, yeah, it's always been around. <laughs> like, that's the, it's always been around. But Jared, tell me, what was the genesis of of building Jews in all hues? So the summer of 2008, mm-hmm. I was on this leadership trip, um, like a literal trip, not like a ego trip. Uh, I was on this leadership trip from um, what was called Leading Up, uh, which formed into uh, the ROI community. But there was this award trip called the Charlie Award. Mm -hmm. And I met a number of leaders who, after their birthright trips, made significant impacts in their local Jewish communities. And we were from 
uh, around the world, actually. So there were 15 of us, including Israelis, because you can't have a trip in Israel without Israelis, right? True, true. Uh, but they also made significant impact inside of Israel. Um, and at that point, I was meeting all these leaders who had the same issue. They were not only struggling with... Um, they were struggling with the same communities where they were leading. Not, I'm not going to say that people were struggling with identities. I didn't get that sense. People were very grounded in who they are because um, they're still alive. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to use past that to that. Um, really grounded in their Jewish identities, really grounded in their cultural identities, but also being ostracized um, by those same communities, uh, either from having some type of non-white background or um, having the flip of the coin, right? Being uh, a patrilineal Jew right. uh, versus a matrilineal Jew or just any number of things um, or growing up being a Russian Jew inside of Israel or um, Mizrahi, um, you know, all those different things. Um, and at that very same moment, my nieces and nephews were also struggling with their identities inside the United States, growing up in the same town that I grew up in, uh, facing some of the communities that I faced as a kid. And I really didn't want more generations of multi-heritage Jews to go through this. Right, right. Um, and so- Can I ask you, can I ask you for, for the sake of- um... Our listeners, can you define the multi-heritage a little? Because for some people, they may not get, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And back when we started, it was dual heritage, but we changed it to multi-heritage because that's it's a little bit more of everything. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that we defined it was, and this has evolved over the years, uh, we define it as somebody who has uh, one parent from another religious tradition, mm -hmm. um, one person, uh, somebody who is an adoptee, uh, somebody who is a Jew by choice, mm -hmm. um, keeping in mind that if you're Jew by choice, you are under no obligation to disclose that. Um, Amen to that. And that is, it's expanded a little bit, um, you know, because there are people who have like one Ashkenazi or Sephardi or Mizrahi parent or, um, you know, or they are Sephardi Mizrahi, uh, Jews of color, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in all of our beauty, um, who face a lot of discrimination in settings that are not of our making, mm -hmm. um, still settings that we have ownership over, but not of our making. Uh, and so multi-heritage really encompasses a lot of those things um you know obviously we get pushed back every single day you know yeah uh, and that's part of it um it, in entrepreneurial terms these are the headwinds um headwinds <laughs> yes it's like yeah it's the headwinds or the forces that that keep you from moving forward or try to keep you yeah that you forward. keep running into and they keep pushing you back yeah yeah mm -hmm. and then tailwinds propel you and yeah. like okay that's great and we face much many more headwinds than we do 
tailwind. Yeah. Tell me some of your challenges with building your group then. Some of those headwinds, other than, you know, you, the pushback, even in, I guess, the pushback that you get on the def, the definition and, and which you really shouldn't. The scope is broad and beautiful as it should be. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, there are other groups out there who are, yeah, there are other groups out there who are far more restrictive and really try to pigeonhole us in, in such a way, but tell me some of the pushbacks or pushbacks. Let me keep using that term headwinds, headwinds, which when I'm saying, and I'm getting this visual, I'm getting this visual. That's kind of messing up my doom also, but I'm getting this visual. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of it has the same ethos and that's white supremacy. Uh, white supremacy is the headwind. Mm -hmm. Um, and that means the work we do is either dismissed, not taken seriously. Um, honestly, one of the reasons why I got a master's degree in Jewish nonprofit management at a Jewish seminary um, was because um, I needed that accreditation. I needed that, uh, that piece of paper. You know, I learned a lot. And I'm really thankful for my time at the Zellico School. Wow. Uh, so, so Jared, when you say white supremacy, and 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 then you tie it into that—that's the reason that you got your master's, and it's a very specific Jewish master's. And by the way, Mazal Tov, kind of jealous. Um, <laughs> I want those letters. Anyways, is 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 because of the white supremacy? Is, I'm probably not speaking saying this well but you kind of get what I'm saying. And you are specifically addressing it within our community. Yes. Yes. Like to, to be clear, it's not the community at large. It is about our Jewish community. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So you were saying? Yes. I mean, inside of Jewish community, we've absorbed so much white supremacy that we have basically our own label on that same old can. Mm. Um, you know, it has the same manufacturer, but oh you know, we have, uh, we have made our own brand out of it. Uh, I think we even call it Yum Kipper. No, what? Um, what? I'm kidding. <laughs> Yum as in Y-U-M. Yeah, cause I just, I just, I, you know, I just kind of fell off my chair a little, right? <laughs> say too soon too close to the actual holiday man oh, <laughs> well, I'm just teasing. you know it's never too late to repent um true 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 and and to be honest it's one of my favorite um holy days um but getting back to the point um you know white supremacy has got into every aspect of jewish community it is inside of children's books, how we teach Hebrew, how we used to teach Hebrew, right? Where it was very Ashkenazi centric, mm -hmm. you know, now the pronunciation is more Sephardic centric, which is also different from other groups of Jews around the world, like specifically like Temani, right? Mm -hmm. Also has the, um, the O in places where we pronounce it as ah. Um, right. But, you know, we also have it in the nonprofit world, you know, how we look at leadership, what kinds of people have access to education and leadership opportunities, um, who, who has the patience for certain people in their system, um, and who is seen as valuable versus who is seen as disposable. Um, Elaborate on that. I know what you're saying, being someone who works in the nonprofit, but you elaborate on that. So when I'm in 
Let me back up so I have a good start instead of uh, instead of the so, um, okay. or as we say in Philly, so. So? Uh, there's this Pennsylvania O. Oh, I'll get into okay. that uh, after our recording ends. I see a lot of clients who want now mm-hmm. to engage down a, or walk down a racial justice path but they don't have the tools to actually hold multiple cultures. Right? They don't have the tools to hold the people who inhabit, who embody those cultures. Okay. Uh, they don't have a sense of, or a, a will to change certain fundamental things. And understand changing fundamentals is hard work. Mm-hmm. It is hard work. Um, it's like trying to change your fundamental inside of a language, right? Okay. And adding a totally different vernacular. Right. At the same time, people need to do that when it comes to racial justice. Mm-hmm. And that also means taking a good, hard look at your structure, but also a good, hard look at yourself. And I find that people want to do one or the other. Um, there, there are more more people who want to do both at the same time, right? This isn't like the, uh, what was the Padma Lak- Lakshmi um, quote? The, you can have it all, you just can't have it all at once. Yes, yeah. gotcha. Um, gotcha. But that is true. People, it's the self. I always say it starts with self. Yes. Starts with self. Otherwise, it's to me, it's meaningless. If you're not going to change the core of who you are, then you're just spouting, spouting. Yeah, yeah. And we also have to have checkpoints and people who check us, you know, and people who remind us of things. I have that in my life. Um, I have some friends who will check me rather hard, you know. <laughs> they like, bruises? Yeah, bruises and all. And I'm just <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you. Um, because... I have that type of relationship with people, Mm -hmm. right? And you can't do any type of journey alone. No one really even learned a a language uh, alone, right? You had parents, you had other people, you have friends, you have language that you learn from your peers. Right. Um, You didn't learn this all on your own. That's a myth. just like anything else in life. Um, and so we must apply that to anti-racism work. Um, and anti-racism work isn't just white people learning to be anti-racist. It's also people of color learning about how white supremacy manifests in our bodies, how it manifests in our minds, how we interact with other people of color who might have a different shade or might have a different ethnicity and, the, and still the same shade. Um, all those things combine. So when we have training, when we hire facilitators or coaches or consultants, one of the first things I ask people is, what do you do to check yourself? What are What's your system? Right. Who are your people who keep you accountable? Right. Yeah. You know, Jared, it was interesting that when you said about it's also, this work is also for Jews of color. I'm probably paraphrasing you people of color. I'm I'm trying to paraphrase because that really hit with me because we forget that there's work to be done among us too. We tend to, I feel that sometimes we tend to, to say it is about white people. It is about white Jews. It is about them coming correct, becoming, you know, acting right and forgetting that there's, we have stuff too. And I remember I was very, I was actually kind of like, kind of cocky about, you know, unconscious bias. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm black. How could I possibly have any unconscious bias? Right. I, that was the space 
that I was, you know, that's what I was thinking. So I did one of those, you know, quickie, I Googled something, you know, how to assess your unconscious bias thing. I thought, let me just see, because no way. When it was done, I was like, I need some help. <laughs> I need some help. I need some training because I kind of failed it. And I recognized it gave me pause for thought, Jared. I sat back and I was like, well, of course I hold these biases. Look at how I look where I grew up. Look at the environment around me. I grew up really in a time where a, I was on, the only black kid in every single setting up until like grade 10 in high school. Okay. I couldn't, you couldn't find a doll that looked like me when I was growing up. The people on TV that look like me were kind of just a, you know, a step above the step and fetch it characters. Um, you know, there was uh, hair, pro hair products. They were all not about me. So I naturally entrenched that, you know, white things are better. Straighten your hair do this, do that yeah. without recognizing it or, you know, even colorism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of that is, is real. All of that is real. I mean, I grew up in a predominantly African-American community, which used to be predominantly Jewish, like Ashkenazi, um, you know, different, you know, how that, those migrations happen. Yes. Right? Yes. So even there, you know, white skin was considered great, you know, even though there were lots of like black pride celebrations mm -hmm. and all that. Um, like I was reminded recently that I went to a number of Juneteenth barbecues and I had no idea. I thought they were just barbecues. Um, <laughs> you know, like, with a great, with a really interesting title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or they didn't say what the title was. It just so happened yeah. to be to on Juneteenth. that date. Yeah. <laughs> it's barbecue like, day. <laughs> oh yeah. It's barbecue day. Um, but even I, I mean, I go through anti-bias training two, three times a year, because mm -hmm. you know, I have to keep myself in check with, with different things. Um, I mean, my brain works where I try to get everything down to a yes or no question, and that takes a very long time. So really? just to talk about that for a second, and then I'll yeah. loop back into the nonprofit world. Yes. Um, for a long time, I was really against patrilineal descent. You know, as oh. as liberal as I am, even though I only spent like one year in Hebrew school, <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but like um, basically didn't continue on with Hebrew school because of institutionalized racism. Yeah. Um, but I was always taught your mother's Jewish. That means you're Jewish, right? Um, and then I had to wrestle with myself for for a long time in my childhood because when I saw people who had like a Jewish dad and uh, a mom of another religious tradition or no religious tradition right. that I didn't really consider them Jewish, and then and then all of a sudden like it whittled down for me leading up to actually the start of Jews in All Hughes, uh -huh. where. Um, you know, I, I was like, this person has just as much Jewish heritage as I do. How dare I? What so a I'm, way to spin it. Yeah. Because that's kind of true. It's not even kind of true. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. I and never thought of it that way because I, too, was raised with that same that same thing. You know, it's interesting, though, I have to say, when you brought up 
You mentioned patrilineal. What I do find interesting is the way that the media, the Jewish media treats patrilineal. And by this, I mean, when we have somebody like, uh, what's that guy's name? Adam Levine, mm-hmm. who is a patrilineal Jew. They always say that our Jewish media will say Adam Levine, the Jew. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have somebody on the other side, a Drake who is matrilineally Jewish and they refer to him as either half Jewish or they say uh, Jewish ancestry. And I'm like, I started to watch this trend, this pattern. Well, for them, it's, it's, you know, Jewish equals white. Exactly. As long as you have (laughs) some other type of white in there, you can just mix it up and then pretend it never happened. Um, or, or it's funny that you mentioned celebrities because there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of debate, you know, just in general around, uh, celebrities. I mean, one of my questions is, have you even asked the celebrities themselves if they consider themselves Jewish? Point number right? one. Number one, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people bring up Lenny Kravitz all the time. So let's go there. You know, yes. Lenny Kravitz fully recognizes his Jewish heritage, connects with it, but he also was ostracized in Hebrew school. He also had a, um, a really tenuous relationship with his father, mm-hmm. right? Who was the Jewish representative of the family, right? And he went to Christianity, you know? Uh, we have to recognize that Judaism itself is beautiful, but a lot of the people who practice it also practice white supremacy, right? And that has become part of the religion, even though it's not really part of the religion, yes. right? To yeah. be, to, to enact white supremacy is actually to go against Judaism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because white supremacy also includes anti-Semitism. Yeah. And yes. racism and, and anti-Semitism are one of the biggest fuel tanks for white supremacy. Um, and we have a duty to uproot both of them at the same time. Absolutely. Jared, do you think some of the reason that the community also struggles with when we say to them, we have, we have a problem with white supremacy in our, in our community. Do you find I, at least this is how I feel. I think that they have a problem because of the word, the words, uh, I think they immediately go to KKK. They immediately go to what? Because they they figure white supremacy equals wearing a pointy hat and a, a pointy white or flannel hat. or whatever. Yeah, or you know, and that's what they yeah. think. And it's like, no, that's not. That is those are some white supremacists, probably the extreme of, but that isn't the only definition of white supremacy. It's not the KKK alone or Nazis. Yeah, or, you know, I mean. The white supremacy a lot of people think of, like when they hear it, yes, it rings a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the minority, right? That's the very small minority that will come out of their faces, come out of their homes with that, mm-hmm. right? What's much worse is the people who deny it mm-hmm. and act as though everything they do is great mm-hmm. and don't see anything wrong with the things that they do to that impact the lives of people of color negatively. Also, and this is something that a lot of people think about, um, and this is something I find a lot in Christianity around uh, a reward system for doing something for so long that you will get a reward. So suffering for so long and then you will uh, be rewarded. Okay. Um, or doing certain work so long and you will get some type of amazing extrinsic and intrinsic prize. Okay. Right? The prize for 
getting or moving anti-racism work forward Mm -hmm. is not people of color going on their knees and thanking you. (laughs) Wow. I don't even know what to say to that. Um, And that might be like an internal thing that's in your subconscious rumbling around, but I've actually heard people express utter disappointment that they got to a certain level of relationship with the person of color and that person hadn't thanked them for their work. Dang. Okay. So yeah, um, try not to blow up. You do see bits of that when, you know, during during the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, when I would hear people say, similar to what you're saying, phrased differently about, well, look at all that we've done for them. Right. Look at all that we've done for them. We marched with Martin Luther King Jr. We did this. Look at all we've done. You almost hear, I almost hear, look at all we've done for those people. That's what oh, I no, sometimes people, hear because that's how I translate Yeah, it, people right? in, in Jewish circles will say that Mm-hmm. explicitly like yeah. all we've all we've done for you people mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you're you're ungrateful you're you know thankless how dare you we we came out of our homes to do this and it's like where are your values mm-hmm. right doing something because you think you're going to get rewarded trying to make the world better because you think that you are going to get rewarded on top of all the benefits that you've received from white supremacy mm-hmm. That's also white supremacy, right? That's that's continuous cycle. Right. That's not closing the cycle. That's not stretching it out, breaking it, you know, making it into a road that we can go down. It's still putting yourself above the people who are directly impacted by white supremacy and that mm-hmm. type of white supremacy, right? right. It, it would be like me. It would be like me opening the door for someone at the mm-hmm. Sears Roebuck. Um, but opening the door for somebody at a department store, uh-huh. let's say a woman, a cis woman, or even yeah. a trans woman, right? Uh-huh. And they walk through and, and then I say, you're not going to say thank you. Oh gosh, that's happened to me. <laughs> Where people said that to me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let Aren't people, you doing it to be kind? In the door because like it takes a little bit of burden off of them. Yeah. You know? and, and because you want to do it, don't expect to be thanked. Exactly. That's not I that's not why you're doing it, I would think, is to get that thank you. You're doing it because they needed it. Right. For whatever I mean, reason. Or like just we, because, or just because. When we pray, do we ask God to thank us every time we pray to God? Right? Yeah. Not to say that any of us are God. But like why do we why do we pray? Right? Mm-hmm. I know that's a big existential question, but um, do we do it because there's a reward or do we do it because we're commanded to do it or do we do it for some other reason, right? There could be as many reasons as there are people in the world. Um, but why do we do it? Um, people, you said, you know, people will say that, you know, they, we march with Martin Luther King. Who's the we? You know, it ain't them <laughs> because right. most of them are, they're saying it are usually younger than me or in the same age group. And I'm thinking to myself, so you were marching when you were a newborn <laughs> so i know show me your booties <laughs> yeah. they called it blo- bloody sunday not booty sunday <laughs> baby booty that's what i mean like yeah, I know you what <laughs> yeah no but it's true it's it's like i remember saying to somebody when when that came up because i actually found it exceedingly frustrating to hear that 
it, like I said, you know, was that just last year to, to hear it over and over again? Yeah, we marched, we marched, we marched. And finally, I said, first of all, you didn't do the marching. And I said, and the ones who actually went out on the limb suffered within the Jewish community. They weren't supported by That's the right. Jewish community, the Jews who went out and they were did pariahs. that. Exactly. And I said, and thirdly, you don't get credit for their work in perpetuity. You do your own work. You get off your own butt. You do your own stuff and you do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to so, dial it back, Rivka, dial it back. I mean, many <laughs> clergy and many activists have talked about the expense of doing good work. Think of that time as a bank account, right? The dozens or maybe hundreds, I don't know, let's say dozens of Jews that went down in the Freedom Rides and marched with MLK, um, you know, did the work behind closed doors. Let's talk about that for a second, yes. or maybe in a minute, because um, that doing that inside of like the halls of Congress and all, and in the White House and and in state houses across the country, in living rooms across the country, that was deep work mm -hmm. that no one saw on television. Yes, right, and all of that was a deposit. All of those, all that blood, sweat, and tears, mm -hmm. all the people we lost, mm -hmm. that was a deposit. And people in mass have been drawing from that account for over half a century. Yes. And it was depleted within a year. Yep, and yep. we just keep drawing from it and drawing from it, you know, thinking that it's endless, like somebody who just got their first credit card, <laughs> right? And has no idea on how to manage money or doesn't realize that they actually need to pay it back. Right. Right. So we are in a severe deficit morally. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that meme going around, like, we're not asking you, I'm going to butcher, I'm going to butcher this. I really am. Yeah. But we're not <laughs> asking you to um, take credit for slavery or uh -huh. take uh, full responsibility for slavery, but we are telling you that you need to dismantle the system. <gasps> I saw that. You benefit. I saw that meme just a couple of days ago. Right. Yeah, you kind of butchered it, but the intent is there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the intent is there. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. We're not saying that you are responsible for what your ancestors did, but you are responsible for dismantling the system, kind of. Yes, yes. Because that's something we, that it's always thrown in our face. But was, I didn't do it. Why are you holding me accountable for what my family did or whatever, X, Y, and Z? No, but we're saying we're holding you accountable to dismantle what they did. Going back to uh, what you say, how you how you um, thoughtfully consider who you send out for training to do the training and how you, you know, you're doing something that a lot of groups should be doing is pausing and thinking about, first of all, thinking about who you are standing in front of and understanding and recognizing that people do process things differently based upon the skin they're in or the walk that they walk or the, or what they hear with. Yeah. And, and, and we don't do that. You know, it's, um, it's something that I try to think about, but some, sometimes I don't, but I try to think about it. There are some lanes that I never go in, even though people say, yeah, but, and I said, for example, one it's very simple, very, may say, Sound weird, but um, people will when people start to talk about children of dual heritage, like um, 
my children who are biracial. And I say to them, I said, I can't speak for the world that my children walk in because I am not biracial. Yeah. You know, so I, it's for them to, to say, or it's for them to say, no, mom, that's not, that's not how we see it. It's not for me to say, stay in my lane, even though, even though the world would say, yeah, but y'all are brown, but I'm not their brown. (laughs) I mean, I will probably get in trouble for saying this, but there are a lot of POC organizations that are run by white moms. Um, and they're the ones that I know of and the executive directors and founders that I've spoken to. Mm-hmm. Some of them have a notion of ownership over other people of color because their kids are people of color and they feel like they have a level of ownership over the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised by a white mom. My mom is white. Like, my mom does not own me. I know it's it's almost sacrilege for a nice Jewish boy to say, but... (laughs) And my mom knows this. I'm I'm my own person, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and she can't speak for you, and she can't speak right. for the walk the walk that you're walking. Yeah, just and- because she happened to raise a child of color. Yeah, and she she will say that herself because mom is yeah. very blunt. Um, and yeah, that's how how it's raised, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it took a while to catch up to the lesson to speak for myself. Right. No, I I sat next to somebody once at. Uh, at um, a Kiddush, or or if the preferred pronunciation, Kiddush. And we were having a conversation all around, you know, racial justice, um, equity, and this and that. And she started to speak as if she was a person of color. And I turned to her and I said, you can't speak to that. And she said, but my children are. I said, that's your children are. You are not. Right. And I said, you do not see the world through your children's eyes. So you cannot speak for them. Full stop. So, yeah, I have to be mindful of who I send to any particular community or in front of any particular person. I mean, there's the, was it, Dalif Nehemi at Almed, right? Know before whom you stand. stand. <laughs> yes. Um, like, you do have to know that, right? You do have to think long and hard about that. You also have to charge well, right? Yes. So I get called for lots of gigs, lots of speaking gigs for, you know, these big conferences sometimes, and they don't want to pay anything to hear, but they just want the lessons, right? Like, yeah, they want to take it for free, which is, yeah. Um, and that's, we, that, that's hurting. That's, that's continued harm, right? Of course it's continued I, harm. I don't and they care, don't, mm. Like, I don't care if the person you're asking to speak is a person of color who makes a million dollars a year. Doesn't matter. There's still a power structure at play, right? And, and I have a shirt downstairs um, that I, I will never wear again. <laughs> I only wore it once as a joke, but it says, I'm not white, I'm Jewish. Oh, okay. Yes. And I wore it because I was like, uh, I was, I think I was feeling slim that day, but I also wanted to give a statement because the person who made it, I'm like, how are you going to say that standing next to me? Exactly. In a synagogue, you know, how are you going to say you're not white? But what does that make me? Right. Um, and, and I mean, that person like never got it to this day. Yeah. And this was like probably 10 years ago. Oh. But um, 
inside of inside of Jewish space, if you are a white Jew, you're 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 a white Jew, mm-hmm. right? And you can push back all you want and say that you're not white in the grand scheme of America or mm-hmm. grand scheme of North America or South America or the world, mm-hmm. but still like, you know, if you walk down the street, chances are somebody with yoga pants is not going to call the police on you. If I- <laughs> Someone needs yoga pants. If I walk down the street, chances are that person with yoga pants is going to call me, call the police on me from four blocks away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and say that I'm a dangerous criminal or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe even they're like a lighter skinned person of color, right? Because mm-hmm. you and I have spoken about certain people who um, have called me like a dangerous black man yes. to to funders and all. Just t- yes. getting back the headwinds for a second. Yes. You know, um, there are, and this person is also a person of color Um, and I'm sorry, a Jew of color, but like there, there are, um, there are ways in which we, we act towards certain people based off of our biases, right? Mm -hmm. I have meetings with our quote unquote staff, like our our contractors at times, right? Um, Because like, I'm the only actual staff person, everyone else is a private contractor. and I hope to change that really soon. Um, and we go and have arguments, right? And some of the white folks who are in these these meetings, like, mm-hmm. jump back for a second. They're like, what? They're arguing. Like, and they see arguing <laughs> as a bad thing. Yeah. And let me just be clear. The white people are also Jews. Okay. Um, all right. Um, and, and then, like, we're going at it, you know? And then at the end, it's like... I really love and respect you. Uh-huh. Thank you. And then we'll walk, we'll, we'll, we'll like have lunch or something like that. Like if it's in person. Um, and then some of the white Jews are like, wow, we thought you, you two hated each other. It's like, no, we can separate some things. We it's might compartmentalize. be really one thing or another. Yeah. You know, but in the end, we're holding some basis of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that needs to be put into the system more mm-hmm. or put into training and put into journeys more is that we're, we're trying to build up a sense of humanity in other people that we see. Right. Right. And it's not for those people. They are already human. It's for us trying to deprogram how we dehumanize other human beings um, based off of, I'm almost about to curse. Um, I am. You know what? There was a curse word in my head. <laughs> you were, because I, I was like, based off of a bleep. Yes. <laughs> bleep. Um, yes. Based off of white supremacy, yeah. based off of de- the dehumanization that we have also receive mm-hmm. the, the target um yeah. and the more we can do that i think the further along we're going to get on a lot of things absolutely so jared let me ask you this as we wrap up what are the next steps for jews and all hues i know i would desperately love to merge my organization with yours but that's a whole other topic <laughs> so, oh. so, so you can conquer north america but <laughs> Using all hues international. Exactly. I, I like but, the sound of that. Uh, you know, let me just leave that little nugget there. But no, really, what is what are the next steps for Jews and all hues? What are the next steps for you, Jared? Well, those are two separate things, I think. Absolutely. They could easily be. So the future of Jews and all hues is one that is filled with people, just like any good movement or organization. 
not just volunteers, uh, but staff. We're often told that we can do this work unfunded, but other people who are not people of color get fully funded to do this work. So I'm working towards a sea change to go around and to go through traditional systems so that we can get to the point where we're not just doing consulting, right? Because that is an outward thing that is mostly um, teaching white people in particular to to be Mm anti-racist, but really to, to do more of the internal work of having spaces and programming and all for Jews of color families, um, multiracial families or monoracial, I don't know, you know, there are a lot of ways to be Jewish. Yeah, yes, Um, indeed. Also having that space where we can connect with more POC groups, connect with more POC movements, also show people outside the Jewish community what Jewish looks like through speaking engagements and all that. And so that's going to take a lot of work. That's going to take more board members, more volunteers, definitely more donors. Yes. Um, like, I'll tell you, we've gotten some some donors that have broken the three-digit mark, right, uh, okay. in, in the past few years, um, and some who have broken the five-digit mark, um, and that's good. Um, but you need ongoing we need ongoing support. You know, we we need to have um, we need to have grant systems that aren't based off of um, fully funded organizations, right? Right. You know, the whole money begets money. Yes. Um, and entrepreneurial ventures that don't require five full staff members in order to be considered worthy enough to learn. Okay. Wow. That's one headwind. Yeah. I'm currently facing. I got an email the other day, you know, from an organization um, that said, we would love for you to join, but you need to have X amount of people. I'm like, why? Or, or even thought of, right? So we, you know, it's either we do things for ourselves and we do things for ourselves. We, we raise money to help people stay in their homes under the radar, you know? Right. Um, you know, we, we have a number of coaching hours for Jews of color in professional situations and outside of professional situations um, that we, we just have free hours for people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people call us with different, different issues and all that, but we need so much more infrastructure in order to get to the point where we can fully serve our own people. Um, and not just have it be fee for service. Right. Right. Um, even though I, I love consulting, I love consulting. I love coaching. Um, I just did a, a session yesterday for, um, like a Jewish day camp conference. Right. Love it. I mean, I'm getting chills right now. <laughs> I can tell cause you, your smile's getting wider and wider. <laughs> like you're like, yes. <laughs> Yes. And there's a wall, right? There's a wall at a certain point for me personally and for our crew where we need to do things for ourselves. We need to re-energize, even if it's putting in much more work to get conferences together and all that. But here's the thing, like most of the people in our network are struggling financially. So it's not like we have the, it's not like we have the means to infuse them with anything really, but it's also like a lot of people just don't have the means to spend $180 to go someplace plus a hotel plus this that and the other Agreed. you know so that means we need to be stronger on our fundraising end and like you know 
know, I hope in, in within the next five years that Jews and all Hughes will have a training director, a development director, um, have a program director, and have somebody to work on graphic design and all that so that we can create those educational materials, those uh, have those relationships with donors that, that is grassroots, but also in the foundation world. Absolutely. Right? And that we can have enough to, like, if somebody really needs to need some help to stay in their home or to bury a loved one. As far as myself, I, uh, right now I'm focusing solely on Jews and all Hughes. Okay. Um, to, to get us really up and running, um, and sustainable, uh, in a way that we haven't been before. Um, but I'm also, I'm also thinking that like one, one of the things I really want to do is be, be in a position to move funds to, to people who are really worthy of those funds. And that, that also means like in one way or another being a gatekeeper, I'm going to be explicit about that, but you know, I really want to help move, make movement in the philanthropic world um, and not be, and not create a bottleneck. This is something I put my life's blood into. And I know just as somebody who is keenly aware of like, you know, I know before whom I stand. And that also means the whole field that there is going to come a time when this organization will grow past me or needs a different direction. Right. And I want to be upfront about that. I'm not planning to stay around forever. One place where I want to see Jews and all Hughes continue to rise to the occasion is the celebration of us, right? Because Jews and all Hughes was really founded on a sense of celebrating us. our intersections. Us, yes, us, all of us. Even yes. though I know, I know there's a, there's one organization that translates to all of us, but um, I ah, people I are do... like, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. <laughs> <laughs> They're going ah. through their Hebrew and they're like, <laughs> anyways. Yes. Um, but really, like, I want to get to even more places of celebration. We have them. We have the the high holy days, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. That... Just celebrating, celebrating, because I heard somebody use this term, celebrating Black Jewish joy. Yeah. Or Latinx Jewish joy. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, I just use that expression. Your, your joy looks your like. <laughs> yes, whatever your joy looks like. Yes. You know. Ultimately, your, whatever your joy looks like, it's still Jewish joy. Well, thank you, Jared. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. You know, I will always have a huge soft spot, not just for you, but for Jews in all hues. Um, because really it was one of the first organizations for us and about us that I'd ever heard of. So for me, it was really eye-opening. And I, anyway, you know, any way I can support you, I will. I ain't got millions of dollars, but anyway, I can support you, I will. But, you know, for those, for those who are listening and want to know more about Jared's work with Jews in All Hughes, literally just go to JewsInAllHughes.org and check out his page, reach out to Jared. Um, let's continue to support this amazing work that he's doing because he's doing it really well and he's doing it, he's doing it differently. His, his organization, in my opinion, is unique different perspective, different way of doing stuff, really effective. So thank you again, Jared. Thank you. I, I'm going to wear my t-shirt tomorrow here at work. <laughs> so thank you. You take care. And it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Riv Koosh. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Music by Westside Gravy and I am Riv Koosh. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can hear more at the cjn.ca slash Riv and support us by subscribing. If you want to support the CJN, join the CJN Circle. You get quarterly magazines, invitations to live events, and a weekly printable edition. Learn more at the cjn.ca slash circle. Thanks for listening. The Limud Toronto Festival takes place on Sunday, November 21st. Limud features educators, performers, authors, activists, and innovators from around the world. The Limud Festival of Jewish Learning celebrates creativity, diversity, inclusivity, and discussion. Everyone is welcome. All tickets to Limud are pay what you can. Learn more at limud.ca.